0: Again, everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub. I am Dave. This guy up here is Vlad. We have a very special guest for episode sixty-six to talk about IIoT. Caleb Eastman. Caleb,
1: thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for
2: having me. Appreciate uh, appreciate you joining us today, Caleb. I want to you know before we dive into the technology piece of our discussion, I wanted to get your background a little bit. And I know we've talked a bit off stream. You have a I would say an unconventional entry into manufacturing. So I want to hear your backstory and I guess understand what made those decisions. And I guess also the story of who made that possible.
1: Uh, uh, Thank you. So, um, so I guess, you know, the, the kind of what started it was in, in in high school, I, my, my school had a uh, program for, um, Cisco, it was a Cisco, Cisco Academy, we kind of graduated high school with a CCNA, and oh, wow. I got I got that and actually was getting ready to go to college to get my CCNP or CCSP um, and had a full ride to a, a university and decided at the last minute, no, I thought it would be uh, more helpful to people if I were a firefighter, so I instead went and Uh, enrolled uh, in a fire science program for Hutchinson Community College and uh, fought fire a little bit for the Forest Service um, as a wildland firefighter Um, and so didn't just kind of set my the network engineering thing aside and I ended up that ended up coming back up when I I got hired by a small oil and gas company in southeast Kansas um, to do their uh, to do their their networks particularly their their Power Networks, their OT um, networking,
2: and gotten to SCADA that way. And
1: kind of that's that was the actual beginning of the career, um, really. If you don't mind um, me
2: asking, and sorry to interrupt, what made you decide to go back into, I guess, like controls and networking? Was there like a, a decision point? Was it just, uh, I guess, a good opportunity? Or what was it like, I guess, to rethink uh, going back into the tech world?
1: Um, I really, what it was is that, um, I, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to explain. I guess it was just that I, I wanted, I, I, I hadn't been, I, I had kind of missed tech for a lot of my twenties and, um, just kind of wanted to kind of get back into it because I uh, was okay at it in high school. And so, um, I kind of accidentally fell into it, uh, happening to, work for a company where the networking and the that I was doing was was uh, was OT related, and I'm really interested, as it turns out, in complex systems. And so I wanted to learn about the control systems, and I wanted to learn about SCADA, and then what happens to data after SCADA, and how all the components work together. And you know, so I, I so so after that, I started I started I co-founded a systems integrator um, um, and in an electrical electrical um shop. Um and that takes you into basically everything. Like when you, if you're a systems integrator, it's very easy for you to carry it into all sorts of you know connectivity issues and um control issues. And I kinda of, that's where I kind of got fell in love with PLCs and um and uh you know from there I I was um, recruited to go work for a company out of Silicon Valley that was sort of, uh, kind of, in a lot of ways adding adding the AI component to it, and um, and then after that, uh, I co-founded um, with uh, Valerie, who's uh, who's my wife and the CEO of the company, uh, Winter Wind Robotics, and uh, and so. Got a lot of opportunity um, to do more in the robotics space, uh, obviously, with with Winter Winds, And I've gotten to do some cool things with NASA and some large Fortune 500 companies. Um, it's, it's, it's been a fun ride, I guess is the best way to put it.
2: I'm really excited to dive into more as to what you're doing today at to Win Robotics. But I do want to, I guess, like point out or I guess like comment a little bit that it's interesting that a lot of times I think controls engineers or people on the OT side, at least in my experience, don't know networking that well and usually try and supplement that knowledge with a CCNA, right, or try to learn the networking aspects after they've done controls versus you come from the other side, whereas you knew networks really well and then you've learned all the OT systems down the road. And again, I think it's just a, an interesting perspective and I think that there's certainly... I would say a lack of knowledge in our space when it comes to networks. And like, a, I, I could tell you even, you know, CCIE is probably, you know, the next level, but even just a fundamental understanding of how manufacturing networks should be laid out. So that's just a very interesting observation. And I think it, it's, it's not often that we have people uh, sort of like coming from the IT side going into OT. So that, that's really cool. Yeah, and it was
1: it was actually is it actually it's actually super useful, particularly in in the highly distributed systems that comprise of you know energy energy systems because like if you're someone who's willing to go out to the middle of nowhere and you can completely replace a Cisco switch from you know a tower that the whole tower got knocked out by lightning and you have to replace all the components and reprogram the Cisco switch, things like that. It really does help in those scenarios because one thing that's traditionally pretty hard to find is people who can do, can can do that type of, can do that type of stuff and also are familiar with, you know, wearing hard hat and FRs, you know, and things like, and, and, and can, you know, find a tower and a rainstorm in the middle of the night in uh, West Texas or Eastern New Mexico in the middle of nowhere. So yeah, it is, it, uh, it was, it was a lot of, uh, it's been a lot of uh, getting woken up four in the morning and going to have to fix something type stuff. Um, but, you know, I know, I know that we all, we've all, we've all been, we've all been there. So.
2: Caleb, so I guess going or fast forwarding to today, could you give us a picture or what it is that you're involved with? Again, I don't think we need to mention any of the companies, just uh, in case they want to remain anonymous. But what kind of work are you doing with robotics, uh, mm-hmm. IOT, Industry 4.0, and I guess AI, ML in general?
1: Yeah. So, um, and it, so I'll give an example. So, so for you know this this year, um, we're actually working with NASA on. Um, there's, you know, a common problem or an unknown problem in in uh, wildland fires is that the when they're doing when the aerial operations are occurring, mm-hmm. if a drone enters the area that's like just some some dude wanting to get a good close picture of the fire, enters the area, all the fire all the aerial uh, fire plan, firefighting planes have to ground they have to all stop because they, because. It's not managed the same way that tri- typical air traffic controls managed because it's a very localized issue. The planes fly very close to the ground, and it's a moving situation. So as the fire line moves or the firehead moves, um, usually west to east, sometimes other directions, uh, the operations change as well. And so um, we're helping we're helping to sort of modernize the process by which they currently do that by setting up an ad hoc radar net um, that. Um, um, that effectively, re- effectively is sort of a synergized point cloud for the area. And the main reason is to sort of coordinate the firefighting operations as it relates well to the ground operations, but also to, um, to detect uh, uh, undesirable uh, drones in the area, unmanned systems in the area, that tend to uh, get, create a lot of grief for the, for the incident command team um that's an example of something that we're, we're doing right now um in the in that is iot by the way it's the same it's all the same problems um uh the in i'm happy to argue with anyone about that um but uh related to more you know, traditional controls we're working with a large company on um helping to uh Helping to deploy a sort of an edge computing, novel sensing platform into their OT OT environment. Um, we tend to we tend to sort of and and there's a lot of sort of it's a very distributed environment and um, a lot of lot of hazardous locations and um, and so that's, so we're working we're, we're working with them on solving those problems. Um, for ourselves, you know, the way we kind of work is we're a services company that is ta- taking any profits we make and funding our own internal development from products as well because we like we're like to do research and development and we're making a a novel a novel vibration sensor for condition monitoring so that's an example that's another example of an IoT thing we're doing so.
2: That's really interesting. You know, I, I like to hear examples I want to say that are unconventional or that are not obvious to someone who is I would say like stuck in a plant right and looking at the digital or analog sensors just being passed to a switch and then that switch just funnels them into like a database and I would assume that in those like firefighting operations obviously there's that component but there's also as you've mentioned there's a lot of different noise it could be physical devices that are obstructing um, whatever operation. So it's interesting to see, I would say that IIoT is not just data coming in from plant sensors that are all wired in. There's a lot of different applications that I think people uh, may ignore. But I wanted to ask you, I guess, fundamentally, you know, and we've asked this question from all of our guests on this theme. like what does IIoT mean for you? Because I think in our current space, there's a lot of confusion, you know, if If I'm asked that question, I even talk about various technologies, right? But I think it always kind of boils down. It boils down to still having a hardware presence, right? Because it's Mm thing, it's Internet of Things, so it's hardware that's connected to an Ethernet, I guess, or Profinet, whatever protocol, but it sends data to a database, right? But is there maybe some technologies that you would think are core to when you're discussing IIoT?
1: I consider IIOt to be a, a rethink of the way that you um, that you measure and process you know the measure and measure and consume the data that that that's coming from your physical process. So um, so an example you know I consider for example Iolink the technology as an IIOt as an IoT concept because you, you might have – you might today have a 4 to 20 milliamp, you know, 420 um, pressure transducer on one of your processes, um, and it sends back that single variable, and that's all the context you have, um, and if you were to replace that sensor with an IO-link sensor that does the same thing, but now you have the raw ADC counts, you have diagnostics, you have faults, you have – soft alarms you have automatic reparameterization you have that context um, at the sensor level that would be what i would consider to be an iiot initiative that's that's an example uh that sort of basically it's uh it's creating more context um or creating more context between the sensors and the and the edge if you will um and I'm happy to include the cloud, um, but the sensors to the uh, um, uh, that enables um, other initiatives, whether it's AIML or, um, you know, sort of down the line.
2: And it's interesting, to be honest with you, again, there's a lot of debates around protocols. There's a lot of debates about different ways of processing the data. I think there's going to be a lot of debates, maybe even controversial comments around IO-Link I certainly think that there's never enough data. Obviously there's a caveat that we should be using the data that we're consuming and understanding it better. But I, I really like the I guess the concept of contextualized data has always been on the back of my mind because I think and maybe I would like you to elaborate on this. There's many initiatives where you funnel a lot of data into a, a data lake, database, whatever you call it. Um, and then it's just way too difficult for someone at that level to be able to extract information, right? And I, I, I'm wondering if you have some examples or want to, I guess, like expand on that topic. But I think mm. just applying, I would say, big data uh, principles or a, again, like AI, ML, like whatever you call it, doesn't always work the way we would expect, right? In traditional, um, I would say, methodology. Any, any thoughts? Yeah.
1: So I, I think the key thing, the key thing is to, the key thing is to understand that there's there's there there's never magic, and whenever we you know put anything in a black box, and we think that it's magic, then it, it it's going to disappoint us. So you know this you know the the concept you know the, one of the more recent sort of magical concepts that I think is sort of infected. The industry is the idea that you can hire a data scientist um, you know who has a a background in python and maybe an understanding of neural nets and you can just shove the data at them and um and you know they're going to come up with like sort of you know a brand new insight or whatever and i feel like and, and particularly i've noticed it's like sort of the executive level the people who Sort of are financially responsible for the plant and not necessarily familiar with uh, with uh, the lower level um, controls. Um, and the issue that you find is that the data scientist is the has the least amount of context in terms of what that data means, what that data is, how that data normally looks, what the data. So expecting them to sort of create some kind of magical model that will, you know d increase your efficiency by 15 percent or something is is, is difficult is, is troubled like you might you might get there i would i would contend it's probably luck if you did um, ah. uh, so i won't i won't say it's, i won't say it's impossible uh, i'll say that it's statistically unlikely right um, which is i guess ironic because data science is based on statistics in the end of the day but um but the but so um so so I you know and, and, and there's been you know and there's there's been a desire I you know kind of the last 10 15 years it seems like you know you mentioned big data as an example it seems like the the, the 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 attempt that was made is that what we'll do is we'll present the existing data we have with no more context than it currently has or maybe even less because you know um, maybe even less Uh and you you know kind of push it a different direction like push it at an azure data lake instead of a piastorian or push it into a, uh, and and you know kind of hope that someone 6 months from now will be able to make sense of it later and i'm i i feel like we've kind of cycled back to where we should probably all admit to ourselves that we should have a look at what you know what not what um what we can do if we originate the data with more context. So I think there's two things to that. One is novel sensing, you know, and by novel sensing I mean types of sensors that we traditionally aren't deployed in control systems, such as uh, depth cameras, high frequency radar. And then in other cases, it's to, to, to have a look at the sensors that we currently have and think about like, is there a way? Iolink I is an example of that. Is pretty much anywhere that a pretty much anywhere that there's a single variable sensor is probably someone probably makes an Iolink sensor of that thing, which gives you much more information about about it. And um, and I think that if we kind of want to hit the next so and and this to me is a sort of a plan for the future type scenario. What we probably can know as a as an industry and um is that it, the likelihood of people involved in it um, particularly operators it's very likely that we're going to lose context from the people who've been doing this for the last 30 years mm-hmm. and we're going to replace them with young people out of uh, I'll, I'll just say it you know Gen Gen generation, Gen Z people who are less who are less willing to, to, to get that context and spend the amount of years on that process and more interested in technology or using technology. And so we have to start building that context kind of into the system and originate it at the starting at the sensor level, or else we'll, you know, if we rely on the current sort of makeup of skills. Um, then we'll will 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 gradually lose our ability to run our own systems and this by the way is not the first time this has happened to humanity this is what happened with the roman aqueducts as an example it's the people who originally made it knew how to run them knew how to operate them then they ran like there's this assumption that there's this assumption that as a society we are always getting better at technology but there are many examples historically where we have gone backwards in technology because of a lack of context and that's so um because knowledge was not passed from generation to generation about and so we can we can i i see a scenario in which we our infrastructure starts to fall apart because people don't know how to run it anymore
2: that's a very interesting thought to be honest with you i'm not sure I have the answer, but I would definitely agree that you know it's it's not an obvious I would say like answer, right? Do you need do you need to upgrade the instrumentation, but then who's going? To, I think there still needs to be someone who understands the process really well in order to I would say add context even to individual sensors, right? Because I think the technology alone is not going to solve that challenge, and so you know, in the example that we talked about a bit earlier, where you have a data scientist presented with a lot of data flowing in, well, he needs probably several process people from, again, different areas, different departments that truly understand what's going on. And then you probably also need controls people who understand the data flow, right? Because again, at least like in my Experience. there's still a disconnect between someone who understands the process really well. And then someone who just focuses on controls and then someone who does data work. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what's the solution for every um, end user, but I think as you said, they're going to have a harder and I would say like more challenging time to find people to fill those roles, but also, you know, the 20 years spent at a a factory, it's going to be, um, I don't think it's going to be the norm or at least like I've not seen it being the norm for, you know, like my I mean, colleagues, at least.
1: I'll definitely say that like, as time goes on, I think that people who really understand processes and really understand controls mm-hmm. will be able to name their own price. Mm-hmm. I, my, my, my concern is that there simply won't be enough of them. And, um, and so I am, I'm planning on, you know, And so, you know, part of it is education, you know, so Valerie, the CEO of our company, you know, she started her career as a teacher. And so her, you know, her, her, you know, her answer would be is you have to have an incredibly structured education program starting now and really putting people through those, you know, the processes and controls and, you know.
2: And I guess you're not referring to like traditional college. You're referring more like if you're a manufacturer, you should have a structured maybe like mentorship type of a program where you're paired with like a yeah. more senior guy. Yeah. Just to clarify yeah. for those uh, listening. I, mean,
1: I would really like anyone, anyone who has, I would, I would please contact me if you've met a college graduate from any of the colleges that that is ready for, that doesn't need this, what you're talking about, that incredible amount of mentorship around. Nope. Like they, they just, they don't teach them that stuff in college and they can't anyway. It, it kind of requires that you have the heavy machinery around and that you, and so absolutely, I think that, you know, everyone should have a robust education program for their process, robust documentation, a lot of context, a lot of deep understanding. Make sure that you capture that information, that knowledge, um, because it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. Like, um, and so you know, to me, I think a lot about a lot of people when they when they talk about IoT, they talk about how we can use IoT to make things better than they are now. I think about it as we need to have an incredible amount of investment in things like this in order to not make things worse. Um, Because uh, entropy as it relates to knowledge is a, is a a significant issue in this industry. And uh, in my opinion, and and if anyone disagrees with me, then I'm happy to like, (laughs) it's a big deal and it's, and it's a big problem that we have. And, and I think it's going to be increasingly market and, the main, the main concern I have mm-hmm. is that this is one of those things where if we're not solving for those problems, like, man, it'll be bad in 10 years. Just imagine all the, just imagine what it will be like if we just let things go the way that we're going now, as it relates to the supply chain and all the, how society runs on what we're doing. Like we, we, And we have, to me, we have to, we have to safeguard it with that. It's Mm -hmm. not, it's, sure, increasing efficiency is great, but society runs on what we're doing. We, we have to safeguard that for the future. And it doesn't appear as though we have a plan as as a, as a, as a, as a group, as an industry, if you will, right now. I, me- I would agree
0: with that. And I, I think I'm, I'm sorry, Vlad, Caleb has made go a bunch ahead. of good points and I just want to make sure to uh, to tag on and, and tag on to a couple and dig into a couple. I, I think kind of Caleb's con- comment of context being key, uh, like down to the sensor level, sensor level is important. I would kind of go down that path slightly further and I, I feel like it's not that we need to make sure that everything has the most perfect context always. I think it becomes a point of if we don't start contextualizing what we're doing now, and if we don't capture the last 10 or 20 years worth of work, no one will have any hope of being able to understand it And 10 years. And in 10 years, you're rebuilding the whole thing because there was a sensor in one area for a very particular reason, but now here we are, and we don't know why there's a sensor here and no one ever documented it and no one ever contextualized it in the database. And so it runs into, we would just have this huge knowledge gap. And, and to Caleb's point about training. So Tim, Tim is in the chat, Tim and I, Tim Wilborn and I have had many hours of, of conversation on training and everything along the, uh, Everything along those lines. And for me, whenever I uh, I talk about training, for me it becomes how do we pull the information out of the people who have been here? So I have clients who have people who have been working on the same things for 45 years, they are they are the world's expert because they've well probably outlasted everyone else who was there uh, even close to the beginning. And most of the time, those people they they don't even want a flip phone, right? Like most of the time, if you want to get them in the facility, you're getting them on a walkie-talkie. If you want to get them outside of the facility, you're probably calling the, the home phone. And so, as we go, look to bring this generation, the next generation, and then generations following, it becomes they're different people. They understand things differently. So we need to pull the information to build training programs so that we can provide context, but we also have to look at how we can pull it out in fun, new, interesting pieces of technology, because if we don't use technology, we'll have already lost people before we get them halfway through the training program.
1: Right. Like, you know, as an, you know, as an example, I, I've, I've long thought that like anyone who has someone like what you just mentioned, someone who's been around the process for 45 years, if if they think that that's just that when that person disappears, that there's, it's just going to be okay. Like that's crazy. Right. Yeah. So if, 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 you know, people like that, I've long thought like you should hire some, you know, young kid is still in college, out of college, whatever, follow that person around for weeks, months, again, and have mm-hmm. them document and write down and learn what that person knows because they, they, I found I found oftentimes those people that you, you don't even like you can't you can't just like you can't document what they know unless you're yeah. seeing it applied, right? Like they're because they don't even know like they don't even necessarily Think about like if you were to ask them, tell me everything you do in a day. They they may not be they, like until they get in. So I I am very worried about the loss of those people, and it's happening mm-hmm. right um, in in at least one sector. I know I know it's called the Great Crew Change, um, where this, this this phenomenon where you have these people that have been have incredible knowledge about the process and were willing to obtain that knowledge through years of experience you yep. and nowadays with the, way that, with the way that the way that the the younger generations my generation the millennials and gen z operate there's they, they absolutely will not work for the same organization for 45 years like and it's just not a thing anymore and so that that that's why like that's why i i talk a lot about like to me, to, to me, it's a to me it is a it's an incredible bonus if we can use I I O T to make our lives better, make the plant run better, make it more efficient, make things cost less. Great, but it's we should not be thinking of it that way. We should be thinking about it like make you know protecting protecting the current efficiency and capability with which we currently run for the future and start there, you know, how would, how would we run it if we lost all our staff today and we had to hire all new people, how would we run the plant? Are there anybody in the plant right now that we could not run the plant without? Mm -hmm. And if I, I, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it, I, I lay awake at night over this in case you're wondering, and I, it's, it's a very, it's very scary to me. And I'm, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that it becomes more of a front of mind thing um, for people uh, that it. the value prop is, Hey, 10 years from now, we want the plant to run as well as it does today. That's the value prop. Mm-hmm. Everything else is a bonus. So Caleb, so
0: you, you are working, on some amazing projects, right? So you're tying in IIoT and artificial intelligence and machine learning and, you know, all of these new novel sensors and robotics and all these things. How do you have that conversation with, with a client? How do you go, like, what is that conversation? Are, are you talking about, you know, these buzzwords or are you talking about kind of the, the nuts and bolts? Do you want
1: to continue to run after you lose these people? I usually talk like I talk just now. Um, I I, um, you know, I I typically, I typically don't use buzzwords like if you ask, if you ask you know my employees how often I say the word IOT or IOT, you mm-hmm. won't hear it often, you know, I'm uh, I try as much as I can to, understand sort of the, the audience, if you will. Right. So mm-hmm. some people, IOT means nothing to them. Um, some people it's, it's the bedrock of their career, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you, you know, I, I try as hard as I can to, 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 to be responsive to, to understand the audience, you know, um, that I'm, that I'm, that I'm working with and talking to and understanding what, what their, you know how that you know how they how they view a problem you know executives i'm i'm used to them seeing things as pure dollars and cents and they are they can they can be short-sighted in many ways about the future and so you know i will say that in response to your question about how i talk to them is usually um uh you usually around you know some potential short-term gains and synergies that can be created for them i find that with controls engineers oftentimes the way i talk today actually tends to resonate they tend mm-hmm. they tend to see this problem they tend to know what's happening or that it's coming and so um and so but uh i don't know i don't know if that answers the question i, I think i took it slightly orthogonal i
0: apologize but no, no, I, I appreciate it. Um, and before I let Vlad get on with a bunch of other questions, you you mentioned sensors. You mentioned contextualizing data. You talked a bit about you guys developing a novel sensor. And I feel like we would be negligent in our our asking of the questions here if we didn't kind of ask the question. You don't have to divulge anything that you're specifically doing, but maybe you know what's wrong with the current vibration sensor options that we have now and what do you guys hope to do differently?
1: So I wouldn't say anything's wrong with them. Um, Certainly there's trade-offs for the IEPe uh, high-frequency vibration, vibration sensors versus the, I like to call them IOT style, uh, you know, wireless mounted on the, mounted on the back of the motor um, type Mm -hmm. sensors. What we're developing is a different way to, to measure it um, using high frequency radar and depth cameras. We can pick up the we can we we can pick up. Basically, what we're doing is we're measuring we're bouncing bouncing radar and optical data off of the machine. We're picking it back up at a, we're, we're measuring the 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 Doppler shift, if you will, uh, on the on the re- response. We're doing it fast enough that we're, we can pick up the vibrations. What that does is that gives you a holistic view of the machine. So it's it's a, it's a wide field of view. So any vibration sensor you have is, is getting the vibration off that, that where exactly it's mounted on the, on the the machine. Right. Mm -hmm. And that gives you a very clear view of what is going on at that, at that point in the mechanical casing. Right. And so usually you'll mount one on the casing and you might, have something, you know, you, you might have one in a different spot to, to measure mm-hmm. the, the, the shaft or alignment issues. And um, in, there, there's all sorts of places you mount them and even different sensors, you know, monitoring electrical, et cetera. But what our sensor does is it can see the whole machine, how it vibrates against itself. It's like covering it with, it's like covering the machine with vibration okay. sensors, basically. Um, and the idea is not to replace any existing um, any existing um, uh, vibration sensor you have that is in a good spot that's working, but to provide to, to sort of tie together what like sort of what you what what the the those points. Uh, what, what, what those individual points might tell you, this ties it all together. So it gives you a clear view of the wow. entire machine. There's a whole lot of stuff that comes from. That. I can talk about a lot of sort of knock-on benefits, uh, but the main thing is context. So the other thing is, um, the main thing is context, um, is you can actually you can actually see, you know, how the different parts of the machine are, are operating against each other. You can see... For example, um, if you have, there's areas of the machine where you wouldn't traditionally think to put a vibration sensor on, um, that have that where there is, there, there are, there are movements that affect the rest of the machine. Um, it's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's really, it's a really interesting, really interesting, uh. Really interesting technology, uh, high frequency radar and depth cameras are really interesting sensors and um, and we're still sort of researching all of the different benefits. Uh, so my, you know, my answer wasn't as pat like I couldn't, I couldn't say I couldn't promise you that like you'll get a 30% boost in your, you know, machine health or whatever, but uh, <clears throat> me, it's again, I think a lot of these things as um, if you can originate data with more context, then you can then then there's a there's there's a lot of things you can do when you're processing the data and you know and storing the data that allows you to uh, to it gives you some it gives you you know more not a lot more ways to look at the, look at the information
2: you have. So. Interesting. So you could map, I guess, like a, a simple example, like a, a case back or like a palletizer arm, and you could essentially map the entire area and then see what's, I guess, going to fail first or is more likely to fail or can be optimized. Is that the chain of thought with the, with the mapping?
1: Yeah, 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 actually, that's like really great. You would, yeah. So it, it, I didn't even, so, so I'll tell you right right off the bat that I didn't even think of that use case. But uh, <laughs> but but that is a that's a great example. So you highly mobile components, right? This has a field of vision that can see the entire thing. It can see how things interact with each other at what velocities, at what speeds, versus what desired. It can see the position. It can see differences in vibration. It can see differences in speed and position. So it it, it yes it it you would be able to. Uh, see a lot of things that you otherwise wouldn't be able to see and map um, with something like that, for sure. Because um, where, so, you know, where these sensors, so these sensors, these both of these sensors are used pretty regularly in, auto, in autonomous vehicles today. And where they're used is to complement each other in, in the optical domains to be able to, to basically map out all the different interactions in a highly variable environment. That you can then, that you, can then um, you know, provide the context of what interactions you prefer versus that you that you like versus that you don't think you're safe and you can make a pipeline from that. And so, to, you know, and If, you know, if we have some time I can talk a little bit about like how Autonomous vehicle, you know, sort of machine learning pipelines work. Mm-hmm. But it really comes down to the sensors and providing the context, adding the context to the time series data. That's interesting. So is, go ahead, Dave, I was going to ask, is
0: the, is the bigger part of the solution that you guys are trying to solve, is that more of a software? I need to tie it together in a software so that we can contextualize what's going on as opposed to picking the sensors that you need for this, this new novel sensor setup?
1: So it requires that what I'm describing requires a signal processing pipeline. So a lot of what we're doing is the signal processing, of you know, so sort of integrating the integrating doing the sensor fusion and the signal processing, um, like and, and and yes, like you said, uh, being able to output, being able to output it in a way that's understandable to either a control system, or a predictive maintenance program, or um, or and, or an analytic solution. So we. We're, we're, we're really big on like flexibility of the really, really big on flexibility for the end user um, to output it. Like is it, are, are they wanting to, you know, map it to PLC tags or, or, you know, to, in order to uh, you know, have the PLC make decisions based off of insights. Are they wanting to get deeper analytics for later for it, you know, What are they trying to do in their particular situation?
2: It could be very interesting. You know, I was going to comment on like the application, I guess, of a robot cell that's just moving a box from like A to B. And again, I don't know if there's a solution out there right now, but I know, for example, you would enter, let's say your end of arm tool parameters, you know, the size and perhaps like the weight limit that it has. And then it, it can optimize, I think, the path based on that. But there's nothing that even like visually would inspect your sell and then again kind of figure out what's going on with your end of arm tool as it even ages right because it's obviously going to get worn down it's going to get less maybe efficient and then you could optimize the path in real time based on that but it does just you know like a thought because i think there's going to be a lot uh, a lot of interesting opportunities in uh, with, with that sensor uh, i would say
1: i i love talking to other i love talking to other controls engineers because you always have like the moment you the moment you understand what the sensor does you'll come up with a better idea than I did about how to use it
2: uh, Well, because I've been in those problems you know no, I spent so, like yeah. days if not weeks you know right. just trying to figure out like what's going on when it's but anyways yes so but 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 you
1: know to your point that's one of the that that's why you know for me it's really about flexibility of outputs uh, because at the end of the day the systems integrator is the one who knows what to do with it right mm-hmm. and that And so, and that's a, yeah. And, you know, I like, I like tools. I like using tools. I like making tools. Uh, uh, They're geared towards people who have high context to try to spread that context around a bit. So.
2: No, definitely. I I love that.
1: And as, oh, hold on a
0: sec, Vlad, I was gonna say, as we were going through this, I, I have five applications that I absolutely cannot talk about live on this show, uh, but I, I will certainly be asking uh, when you guys are, are done with that, because we'd certainly like to, uh, to try it out. And I'm sure we wanna talk about autonomous vehicles and some other things on Vlad's side, but first we have some people to thank. So Vlad, if you, uh, you play that noise, uh, we will go ahead. There we go. Perfect, and we want to thank uh, Phoenix Contact for sponsoring the IIoT theme uh, once again. We want to talk about their PLC Next Edge Gateway as a state-of-the-art IIoT device and edge computing solution. Uh, And Vlad is actually gonna go pick one up from the floor because he's got like 12 of them next to him uh, because he just has PLC problems, right? Uh, So this is designed for data collection in the most demanding environments. Whether you have a small machine or an entire manufacturing floor, the PLC Next Edge Gateway leverages its advanced industrial design and programming openness to collect data from any device or sensor and send it directly to the cloud service of your choice. They like to say any data, any cloud. If you guys would like to learn more, you can absolutely check out uh, Phoenix Contact or talk to your Phoenix Contact rep or Ira or anyone, and you just let them know that Dave and Vlad uh, from Manufacturing Hub sent you. They, they get tickled when that happens, and we get tickled when they tell us that uh, that you guys are asking about the stuff that we talked about. Uh, but Vlad, I'm, I'm going to let you go ahead. W- which direction you want to take us in now?
2: Caleb, I wanted to go back to the initial conversation we had around the learning curve, right, for new engineers, operators, whoever joins a facility. And I think the hard question, and I would say almost like two schools of thoughts that I see, is on one side, you know, technology is making it, I would say, easier for us to understand the systems by adding more context. There's going to be a lot a simple example there's going to be a lot more alarms let's say on again like your case back or your filling machine so there's instead of like 10 alarms or it's down it's up there's going to be a whole list of alarms but on the other side there's the argument of now we have so much complexity right and i've i've even witnessed it i would say like in my career where you have a single plant running on let's say like five different plc brands there's going to be a lot of different sensors a lot of different protocols so it's also making it or I would say like to some degree extending that learning curve. So do you think or I guess like what are your thoughts on the technology being almost like a I don't want to say like a self-fulfilling like prophecy but also making it more difficult for someone who's coming in fresh again out of college or out of again any like school or training, trying to learn all of this in parallel, right? And I think that now that we have even big data, cloud, AI, ML, there's going to be so many components in the, as um, Dave mentioned, Ruth Goldberg machine uh, discussing our software, but that's a, that's a separate inside joke, I would say. Do you think this, the technology <laughs> is, is making it more difficult, right? Like, are we creating the problem that we've discussed, which is the learning curve for new people coming into the industry. No. Okay. And I'll, okay. And, I, and,
1: I, and I'll, and I'll, uh, and I'll, now, now I, so there's a lot of people that will disagree with me vehemently. There's a lot of people that like the kiss method and things like that, but I'm going to tell you something.
2: I hate the kiss method. But the
1: the, the There is a, there is a, there's a concept in the wildland fire incident guide that I learned very early on and it the, the the statement is it's a reluctance to simplify okay the we 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 live in a complex world and if we're and as this, if we just think about the fact like is more complex computers are more complex the plc's are more complex right everything is getting more complex and the people who are coming out of school are being trained all throughout the schooling on the, 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 the most, the, the latest ways to interact with something, right. The, 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 the more con- we'll call them the more complex ways of interacting. I with
2: learned people. on Motorola 68 case. So that's, you know, well, <laughs> absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And what they're teaching kids now, you know, what they're teaching kids now is they come out of grade school with some understanding of Python and JavaScript, they graduate from high school with some understand like so. There, I'm I'm on the innovation board for the local school district, and the local school district is, has a whole AI ML track for, in an innovation center for so like if we take if we take the next generation and throw them into this. Like what? Like what is this? Like how? How do I wire this? Like, like we have to be responsive to who we're bringing in, brand new to a facility. And if we say it's easier for us, it was easier for us, you know, ten years ago, or we think it's less complex. It's not less complex to them. It it just like so. We, there's a bias about complexity. We have to think about, like, there's so – and I probably should mention that before I was in technology, one of the jobs I did was I did some social work. And like I said, my um, – Valerie is a, is a teacher. And so you can't just say um, we need to keep it simple because new people who are onboarding or whatever, like, it, it's – simple to them is not necessarily simple to you simple to them is to them what's complex is trying to understand why the plant can't interact with an iPhone app or why they can't build an iPhone app to run the plant. That's, that's like, they don't understand. Like, and so, and, and, and part of it is that there's going to be, there's a huge disconnect. If they feel like you're backwards because you're trying to keep it simple, then, they won't be interested in working for you. They, they in general, I, I'm, I'm, I, I have not met, I've not met anyone out of the last two generations that would just absolutely love it if everything was totally, totally analog and, um, and, you know, because that makes it more simple and they've got to deal with a Windows XP machine because that makes it more simple or, you know, just like, all of these things that we, you know, the, so we, we have to find a way to blend the resilience of the current systems with the, you know, we have to appreciate complexity. It's, if it's, it, keeping it simple is different things to different people. And we have to be careful when we, when we declare what simple is that. So I guess that, so that that's, I guess that's my main issue with. Is, what's simple to me is not simple to other people and so i i i I don't i don't like that motivation at all it it's more about a comprehensive education program and having having an understanding of how you're going to imbue context to the most amount of people and that involves complexity and um and you know yeah so i don't know if that
2: I like that we agree on that point, you know, and I've made, a, I think, a post about, um, I would say the keep it simple principle is often disguised as we don't have robust like education systems in place, right? So then, again, as you said, I think technology is changing and I think there's certainly a lot to learn, but that shouldn't be stopping you from adopting set technologies, right? And I think there's also something to be said about, I would say like fear of complexity or like fear of like poor implementation, right? Because, and I'm sure like Dave probably has those examples where you have a poorly implemented system and then we immediately assume that it's too complex for us, right? And so obviously there's going to be a lot of issues, a lot of bugs, and then people hate that system for, again, for the poor implementation, but not necessarily because it was complex, right? And so I I think there's like gray areas uh, where, again, I, I would say like people get... I want to say like burned in those kind of projects. And mm-hmm. after that, they're like, well, like, no, we don't want to like touch or we don't want to hear anything about similar implementations because we've seen how it was done in the past. Right. There, there's a lot of, I want to yeah. say like caveats with that as well.
1: I actually heard this great quote from someone very recently. It, he called it the tyranny of soft expectations, basically. And it was basically the point he made was like, if we had every single person, every single person on the planet go, and learned how to become an engineer, software engineer, controls engineer, mechanical engineer, and we all got to work on automating our world, then we would be done in five, five years. Every, if everyone was doing it, and if you say that people can't do it, then that's that's the tyranny of soft expectations. You're saying those people, so it's really a matter of education. It really is a matter of education, right? And, and you know, and people can disagree with the idea that every single person, you know, that we could automate the world in five years, that we could bring people up to speed that fast, et cetera. Um, of course, and it's not going to happen, obviously. But um, but we have to be careful. I, we have to be careful about soft expectations. Like the simplicity concept is around soft expectations. You're basically not expecting people to learn or to be educated, or you're not doing, you know, and you know the, the whole point of instructional design. Is to take a concept, however complex, and make it, and make that knowledge available to a wide variety of people with a wide variety of learning styles, wide variety of, and so so like that like so if 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 we if we're trying if we're trying so hard to keep things simple, then really what we're saying is that we're not interested in proper instructional design. Um, and how how do we present the knowledge in a way that can, we're, you know, we're, we're basically calling our staff stupid, you know, (laughs) and, and I, I think, I think in general, we should always expect, should always expect that whoever's, whoever's here, who who are, you know, that, that there's, that, that we, that they can be, especially in this industry, you know, this this industry is full of more internally motivated people than I, intrinsically motivated people than I've seen in any other industry ever more people that are more interested in learning about how it's all works together. And so, yeah. I I
0: would say to that point, uh, Caleb, I I think that when we talk about complexity, when we talk about, you know, intrinsically motivated people in this industry, we, we like should call out the fact that, for many people, the first six months or two years of this industry is just a meat grinder, right? Mm -hmm. There are lots of people who start in this industry who don't make it six months and a lot of them don't make it two years. I I would imagine that the attrition rate of working in manufacturing is at least as bad as in education and in teaching, and they lose something like 50% plus of people over the course of the first two years. So Mm -hmm. I would say a lot of it is the people who are here and are going to continue to stay here, have that intrinsic motivation. Or like I like to joke with Vlad, like we're all broken in the same way inside. And that's why we continue to show up to yeah. to solve slightly different problems in slightly different places or drive out to the middle of the desert to replace a Cisco switch and have to replace the entire tower because, right. you know, lightning took it out or a cow knocked it over or something, something along those lines. So I think that that is that, that is very good. I while well, I will agree that there isn't very many simple things in this industry, I, I don't think that we need to make things unnecessarily complex. So the, the part that I like about the, the keep it simple concept is that we, we don't need to make it unnecessarily complex. And if we can remove five steps of, you know, moving software, right? So so we we, we talked about IO link, right? So if if I can just go buy a bunch of sensors and, you know, nearly plug and play them as opposed to having to go and set bands and kind of do all of that to every single other, other sensor. Like for me, that that is a simple solution that costs approximately the same and uh, in dollars up front and is probably easier medium to long-term. And if we do a good job, we either have written down set points and or the set points are remembered. And so we break a sensor and five years from now, someone can just go replace the sensor and and we can continue forward.
1: And and this is, and this is exactly what I mean. So I agree with you. And this is exactly what I mean about, uh, about taking care about how to judge simple, right? So some people's arguments against Iolink is that they don't believe it to be simple, Right. But you just described the way in which I believe it to be simple in the way that the e- is easier to train and easier to provide context. Right. Mm-hmm. So when we so 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 I agree with you. Yeah, d- unnecessarily complexity is obviously a stupid way to go. And yep. to me, it's really understanding to me, it's really understanding like, yes. I, I believe I think I consider IOLink to be a, a beautifully simple technology. Obviously, if you look at the spec under the hood and the software under the hood, it's incredibly complex. Incredibly complex, right? Mm-hmm. So it has to. It's 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 so incredibly complex that it's like it's 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 very dense material if you read the spec, right? Uh, and if you want to if you want to really have a heart attack, read IOLink wireless spec. But the but the so it has to do with like so. So we have to ask ourselves exactly like. You know how you know, how do we solve these problems in a way that they scale into the future, right? Scale into the future, and I believe that what we're doing is we were willing to make iLink. We were willing to make iLink so complex under the hood, but to the end user, it is simple, and it is very it is very nice, and I would even call it intuitive, honestly. Mm-hmm and and um, and i also happen to like that it's very context heavy because there's a established data model and established way that machine can know the data model and you know so so that's uh, and that to me that to me should be the focus is how do we how do we how do how do we how do we scale our operations into the future knowing with our current understanding of what's of what who will staff it who will be staffing mm-hmm. it um how how we expect the how we expect the, you know the the facility to evolve how we expect the, the, the offerings of the service that the facility currently provides to evolve how we intend to continue to automate it the expectation that they're that um yeah, I mean, and, and, and how we, you know, obviously protect it from a cybersecurity perspective. And so that's, so that, so it's, you know, it's, so yeah, I mean, I agree, I agree completely. I, I don't like a necessary complexity. It's just, to me, it's really about who are we talking, when say simple, who, who, who's the audience when we say simple, right? Absolutely. I,
0: I agree. And, and I want to give you the opportunity to talk about autonomous vehicles. Uh, we, we've talked about it a little bit before you said you, you want to talk about it. So, so
1: I don't, I don't have to go, I don't have to go into that. I, I um, you know, I don't, it's, it's all right. I, it, it's not that big of a deal. I, but it, it's to me, to me, the main, to me, the, you know, the main thing is, is I will, you know, it's really good to study autonomous vehicles when we talk about any of this stuff, whether it's data acquisition, or the sensors that we use, or or how we connectivity, communications, latency sensitivity, how we uh, update how we update software, how AI and ML is applied into the process. They, they it, it it's, it's hard to argue that that they and frankly gaming are the are the furthest ahead in certain scenarios gaming obviously is very good at simulation autonomous vehicles are also very good at simulation there's a process by which they add context uh by 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 default for the ai ml models to the point where they even have a concept called auto ml where you don't even need the data scientists nor you just need the context you just need the data formatted in the right way and you just need the context and um and they don't there's a lot of things that they don't do as well as what, what controls does but um in terms of where it seems like controls is trying to head uh there's there's a there's, there's a lot of maturity in in that space and um you know the how you know the containerization software and just how that applies with latency there's all sorts of stuff but I, I think about, I, I, I like to think about like what, in, you know, who's doing it best, right? Of any one thing, some ways gaming, yep. dig, for di- digital twins, gaming is doing it best. Mm-hmm. You go, you know, for, for um, ML pipelines, particularly on the perception stack, autonomous mm-hmm. vehicles are doing it best. Yeah, Are those for, architectures
2: well documented? I haven't done research myself, but can you go and figure out, I guess, which protocols they're using, how they're siphoning out the data, yeah, you know, from vehicles. Absolutely.
1: That's documented? Absolutely. And if you want, I can I could tell you. All like so because I'm very fascinated. I'm I'm very fascinated with how everybody does it, right? Hmm. Particularly when you're dealing with physics. Like any 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 group that deals with physics, whether it's building controls, you know, centralized factory controls, distributed controls, uh, robo- you know, robotics, autonomous vehicles, how they all how they all try to solve effectively this in, in, very similar problems, right? It's not the like exact same problems, but it's close enough that, you know, and and the funny thing I've noticed is that like I'll go to a conference, you know, in robotics, they call it RosCon, right? I don't know if anyone here has heard of RosCon. I bet not. Uh, they go to different conferences, like and and you know. But what process controls, what you know, what controls does the best is having a deep, deep understanding of of the of the physical process that they're working with, or the, of the problem space, right? Because you know, roboticists tend to focus on a lot of a lot of people. Funnily enough, roboticists usually don't build robots. Usually, mechanical engineers do. Roboticists are usually software people who coming up with, you know, how to, how path planning and things like that, they're, they're usually, they're usually somewhat akin to, to, to data scientists and that they're, they're not, they're not, they don't have as deep near as deep an understanding on of, of the process, right. That they're trying to control. <clears throat> so, so anyway, I, that was, that was, that was a crazy so And, and by the way, aerospace, the space, you know, what, what they're doing in aerospace is there's some things that they're doing very well there. Uh, in general, they're they're behind everyone else. Don't, uh, but it, you know, because of, because of radiation, uh, radiation hard, hardening and things like that, compute is always slower. But my 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 point is, is I really it's, humility and studying things are really important parts of, of 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 the culture. I think, and it's one thing I love about controls engineers. It's like you the the, the love of learning, the love of gaining knowledge that's that that we don't currently have um so yeah and it's absolutely
2: i was gonna say it's a very interesting i guess like thought you know uh, being exposed to i think like different industries and being able to i would say like i guess like cherry pick would be the word certain components that are done better and being able to reapply them in like manufacturing or otherwise to solve problems i i guess I've not seen a lot of that because I think it's just, it's very, it's a very difficult skill set I think to master. Right.
1: Well, the, the thing that, the thing that's awesome about starting in controls and things like that is if you have a, you know, you have a deep understanding of your space and, and, and everything, what, what's really cool is that you'll, you'll be able to identify immediately. Uh, You know, these are the things that we do better. These are the things that we do worse. If you're honest with yourself, right? I and and um, you know, like for example, in in the IoT 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 space, I hear a lot of noise about MQTT as an example, right? In the robotic space, they're using they're wrapping DDS. They they don't MQTT isn't part of the conversation. They they. It, they they're using dds as the like that that is that is the the and and they're wrapping it with you know with with this wrapper they they call ross2 if um and and that and they and, and, and if you look really deep under the hood you'll find funnily enough that they're doing a lot of the same thing you know data model composability pa- passing sensor data sometimes the same same sensor data uh, historizing the data, being able to analyze the data, being able to apply, uh, apply AI ML. How does the AI ML model get deployed back to the robot? How does, how do we improve it? How do we connect it to the cloud? It's, it's, it's a, it's even, you know, it's, it's a lot of the same problems. They, they're solving it in many ways, a completely different way. And there are some things about it that are better. If we're, you know, honest with ourselves, but there are some things about it that they're missing this like astonishingly astonishingly um, missing um, from from their space uh, that and um, that, that that has been around for a long time in the industrial control space. So interesting.
2: interesting. I, Dave, I guess, what are your thoughts on on that?
0: No, I was going to say that's interesting. I was going to say a lot of the last part kind of goes into one of the normal questions we ask everyone, Caleb, is is like, what do you predict for the, like, what, what does the future of automation, controls, manufacturing, kind of any of those things look like? And, and I feel like you, we've talked a, a lot around it, but do you think we're going to have, you know, one protocol to rule them all? Or do you think we're going to have a bunch of slightly different protocols that do similar things, but... Uh, if only to make things slightly more complex and make Vlad happy, we, uh, we're we going to have a bunch of different protocols that do slightly different things. Like for, for you, what, what does the future look like?
1: So to me, obvious to me, so I talk about this, I you know, I've said this a few times kind of around the edges of it, that the future is driven by in a lot of ways, millennials and generation Z, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, and because that is the case, there will be expectations around the ability of the, the ability of the tech to use to, to use um, to, to be able to to more quickly diagnose the problem. Um, as it relates to one protocol versus multiple protocols, it seems like the more the more so I have to I have to imagine that you know. What I'm no, I'm noticing an increasing trend, in the the and this is probably what IoT is all about is the controls industry looking at what's available, what what's going on in the consumer space, looking at what's going on in other other, and thinking about how that can be applied, right? And if that trend continues, then yes, there will be there will be more standardization. Um, for example, in the smart home market, where you have, the, you know, Alexa and Google and Amazon HomeKit, they actually all joined together to create this group called Matter, if, you know, under the Zigbee, you know, banner, you know, kind of thing. And Matter, the whole point of Matter is that if you have a device that's compatible with Google Home and it's Matter certified it also works through Alexa, et cetera. So the one, and so it's not even just a protocol to rule them all. Even they even made it to where it's the same, that it's, it's the, the interaction pattern for how you commission a device is, is, is centralized. How the data model is formatted is, it ha, has, is being unified. And what they're doing is this thing that I talked about, they're cherry picking the very best, like, like the Nest that Google bought did a damn good job on their protocol. Called Thread and Weave, and in, in, in order to do it, they actually studied all of the industrial protocols. They studied Backnet, Modbus, Alt, MQTT, everything, and said, "No, I don't like all of these. I'm gonna I'm gonna create a brand new one." Um, uh, and um, there's a whole, there's a white paper on it, by the way, available online if you want to see like why why they chose to make a new one. But the the interesting thing about it is, I think that yes, as 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 people want it to look more like the technology that's being driven on the consumer space. As that happens, um, you always see like a copy of it in the industrial sense, you know, you know, like here, you know, VR and AR becomes cool. And all of a sudden you see like a company, it's like AR, but industrial, you put on your hard hat. Uh, I won't name names, but there's a couple of ah. like that, Right. And then, and then like, and then someone's like, you know, uh, IOT sensor, but industrial, which is obviously IOT, and and so it's it's so as that continues and as that continues to expand, I do, yeah, I guess if I'm gonna make a call, it will be, it will end up being, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, is a, a, I'll call it one one interaction pattern to rule them all, driven by the fact that industrial controls are starting to. Our industrial controls are are i think wisely looking at ways that it's being done in in other you know other industries and you know trying to trying to follow trying trying to you know trying to apply that in into the industrial control space no i think that that's that that's very interesting
0: i I, one of my favorite things is to kind of get everyone's thought on the future, and and, and I am generally happy that it seems like, I don't know, the, the future always seems exciting uh, whenever we get uh, people's takes, and your, your take, absolutely exciting, plus all of the amazing technologies uh, that, that we've had the opportunity to, uh, to talk about so far. Uh, kind of the, the next question then, Caleb, is... One of Vlad's favorites, it's career advice. And I know we, we talked a lot about training, right? And so from the, the end user standpoint, you know, we, we need to put in training programs. Some of us would say they need to build digital twins so we can actually train people on things before we put them out onto the floor. But but, what's your advice? Uh, what is your career advice for someone maybe looking to get into the industry or, or mid-career in the industry coming from a fairly unique background?
1: Um, that's a great question. So I don't know if I'm qualified to give people advice on a career because, um, um, but um, it seems to me that the, besides the obvious ones like learner programming language or, you know, um, learn networking, um, I, I would say I would say actually spend, spend some time, spend some time, um, with, uh, I would say spend some time, like go be, go, go, go be a social worker or a volunteer or do something, something to do with, uh, something to do with, uh, kids and, and, and college students. And the main reason is, is because, understanding if you want to build for the future you know which is what we're doing right you do need to have a solid understanding of the psychological aspect to it because what I have found is that almost no solution is a pure engineering solution almost no I've never walked into a plant and they're like carte blanche do whatever you want and we don't care right now there's been some that have been close but once you get into it, you know, the opinion starts right. So it it becomes more about it 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 very much becomes more about understanding understanding the the psychological element of what you're dealing with. Because like I said, I've never got I've never gotten to deploy a pure, pure engineering solution without taking into account how humans will interact with it or what humans will interact with it and what their skill sets and backgrounds are and what they care about or what technologies they prefer or what or how like i've seen lots of organizations where there's a huge disconnect between their executive branch and their so sometimes like you end up getting sometimes if if as a controls engineer integrator like you get placed into a room where you're like explain to my management this thing that I can't seem to get across to them or whatever. Like, it's this weird thing that you like in this space where you have to really understand how to interact with people and how people learn and how people think. And uh, because that, so I guess what I would say is make sure that you insert some really deep soft skills into your career at some point um in a very systematic way and i mean something deep like 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 social work is a great example i spent time doing social work and that has been extremely formative. i dealt with uh, young men ages 6 through 18 who had uh who had uh emotional issues dealing with their life and um and had you know horrible backgrounds foster care system type type situations and and what you find is that, you know, these are, th- this is, th- there is a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different ways to approach something, but what is the way that works for the people that are going to be left with it after you're gone? And if, mm-hmm. if you're good at that, if you're good at that, then the, <clears throat> the rest gets easier.
0: I, I would say that's probably some of the most unique, but maybe some of the best career advice that, uh, that we have gotten. You see especially controls engineers who are very good at the technical, but lack the soft skills and especially people in that mid career. So, so mid career, you see lots of control engineers who are like, Hey, this guy is paying me X number of dollars an hour, uh, like a third or a quarter or a 10th of my hourly rate that they charge the end user. I'm just going to go do the work myself. And I'm going to go make a hundred percent of it. And they struggle and they fail because all of the soft skills and everything else that they did not, intrinsically understand was part of owning an organization or running a business or talking to customers or, or invoicing or any of those fun things. So I think that that's some very good advice.
1: And and I think it's particularly important now since it appears as though, it appears as though in general, as a society we're worse at talking to each other. Mm -hmm. So there, so people who can connect those dots People can connect those dots. We'll, will go further from a career perspective.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Vlad, you're going to, so, so Vlad uh, every once in a while thinks about uh, doing something completely different for a career. Has Caleb convinced you to become a social worker today?
2: I think it's a, it's a very interesting, um, I guess, advice. And you know, the, the thought that I've always had in the back of my head is, Again, I, I, I'm i not sure that I guess I was thinking about social work in general, but I always thought that people lack um, maybe the sales skills, right? Like the way I always thought about it is the communication is key, right? Like in any environment. And I think that the ability to, as you said, I guess like to communicate, understand what people want, but also be able to like position your solution as the right one in front of those people is very important so i think i I guess like i had a similar thought but maybe just a different way of of looking at it and i think again i i think that will help you a lot but i think also the ability again to uh to sell yourself i think to communicate to your management to communicate like upstream or downstream of yourself is extremely important and i think you can get it through social work i think you can get it through uh, through sales. I've had some conversations with people who have gone, uh, the, I guess, similar type of experience by working on uh, like a suicide hotline, you know, being able to deal with people who are like in crisis in many ways.
1: That's a very good one. I mean, that's an incredible one, by the way. I mean, that, that is, that's an, like, but, you know, and, and, and you're absolutely right. Like, you know, the reason, one of the reasons why I'm here today is because I spent so much of the tech part of my career working with systems out in the middle of nowhere that I'm not very well connected. No one knows who I am, right? I'm not, a, like, I'm not a, like, so, so I'm actually, you know, I'm actually part of the reason why I'm here is so that I can become more knowledgeable about, like, you know, who who else is in this space and, like, thinks this way and wants to, you know, grow it. And, like, so it was basically to meet meet people like you is why it is why because I've identified myself uh, this this uh, you know this this weakness which is that I I'm I'm not well connected in the industry or I'm not I'm I am not i do not know I don't know I don't know as many people as I probably should at this point in my career because I've been so hard at the tech. And it is a big part of it and you know especially from a learning perspective. So I like to learn from people who know a heck of a lot more than I do about things. And so that requires you know, talking to people and knowing people. And yeah, no, you, you, you pointed out like part of it is like the thing about the suicide hotline social work, I probably a nuance that I, that I didn't do a good job of communicating is part of it is you kind of have to know yourself to, to be successful social worker. You have to do a really, you have to understand your own strengths and weaknesses and be very introspective. And so anything that, anything that helps you know, yourself really well and what motivates you and how to is like, it's like, because obviously if you're doing a job where you're not motivated, not only is it not good for the company you're for, working for, but it's not good for you and you're spinning your, your wheels from a career perspective. So anything that, you know, any of those things that you can do that can help you to know yourself and to understand others, is going to help you, like like Dave mentioned. Running a business is pretty much pretty much ninety nine percent dealing with dealing with people with different perspectives and you or different backgrounds and different understandings about the same thing, even. Um, and and so yeah, if you know, at a certain point, you kind of have to do it, but. I encourage everyone to, um, it really does help. And I really think that empathy and humility are the two main, you know, hallmarks to a successful career, empathy and humility. Um, so. Absolutely.
0: No, no, I think that those are good. This took a, a slightly more serious, uh, than, than typical uh, part of the conversation. But no, again I, again, I think that this is some of the best and most interesting career advice. Every time we bring up soft skills in one way or another, it uh, everyone continues to talk about, one, how important they are, and two, generally, how difficult they are to obtain. Uh, the, the fact that you can have kind of that that self-actualization and knowledge that, hey, I'm missing something. Let me go fill in the gap. That is... I don't know. I, maybe one percent of humanity has the ability to do that. I know a lot of very, very smart people who the answers can sometimes be directly in front of their faces, and yet they cannot solve the problem that they can very for themselves that they can very easily solve for other people. So th- that is very important.
1: Mental, mental blocks are our number one enemy as a species. It's the mental, the, the the problems we create for ourselves is just it's it's a yeah.
0: Uh, absolutely, no. That, that that's very good. So uh, as we are doing our best yeah. to, uh, to to be respectful. No, no, no. Uh, as as I told you, Caleb, and as I tell everyone, our conversations are too good, and that's how we uh, we just continue to talk forever. But uh, but no. So uh, I like to joke that this is our hashtag not sponsored not sponsored Audible uh, segment, where I ask you if you've got a good book recommendation. And you give Vlad a book to go ahead and download. And sometimes our guests actually pull out their Audible and just start, uh, just start reading from it. But yeah, I know you have a good book recommendation for us, right?
1: Yeah. So I'm a big fan of a book called the book of why, by you pearl, particularly for people in the control space. And the reason is because it does a really good job of talking about uh, the, sort of the emergence of AI and how, how, how the weaknesses in particular of AI, the way most people think about it. So one thing that's probably important to know is that most data scientists who think of AI, most data scientists think um, are, 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 are very, very uh, siloed in terms of their understanding of what AI is. And so even if you go and you talk to someone who you think is an AI expert, they're just describing probably whatever version of AI they're most familiar with or they were trained in. And, and the Book of Why does a pretty good job of, of, of explaining the, the, different, the, the different styles of AI. It, it, it advocates for a style called causal inference, which is not well known, which is good. Uh, but it, it, I think it resonates pretty well with controls engineers because it deals more with sort of the, math, the, the mathematics of causality versus correlation, which is what most, most data science is, most AI mm-hmm. is. And so uh, it's a really good, I, I consider it to be the best introduction into like the, how to think about the ups and downs of AI and since at the end of the instance, probably everyone, at, probably everyone here, the management of the plants that they deal with probably wants to run the plant on AI it's probably a good idea to be conversant and what the problems of that are mm-hmm. and, and also how it can't just be solved with, you know, throwing sensor data into a time series database, historizing it, putting it, dumping it into a, a Jupiter notebook and, and, you know, writing some Python and, and coming up with some magic. Like there's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a it's a thing full of pitfalls and it's good to understand particularly for this industry since we deal in you know very real very real world scenarios we are we are we are what's connected to the actual the actual physical infrastructure of 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 society and so we're the ones who need to understand the best about uh what what does and does not work in this space so no, the ladder, that, that is April. yeah
0: very interesting i I think, you've, I think you've convinced me. I think I'm going to go ahead and read that. Uh, I do a lot of reading uh, kind of in and around the, the AI space and, and bias and, and kind of trying to understand because at the end of the day, it's humans that program this. And so everything that we build are going to have the same intrinsic biases that, that we have, whether intentional or unintentional. And the biases that that we have really just get shown bare uh, when it's a computer making as logical a uh, logical decision as humanly possible. But now I think that that is that that is good, and I think that all of us are excited to to watch as we create more applications, uh, realistic applications uh, within this industry, and and then the real fun of having data and contextualizing data mm-hmm. and spending years scrubbing the data so that we can dump it into a database and hopefully, you know, cross our fingers that the algorithm works. Right. Uh, yeah. We're, we're, we're somewhere between weeks and decades away from that happening, which, Joe, uh, it should be very fun. Uh, but last question for you, Caleb, and, and you kind of alluded to it before. So the last question is, you know, who should reach out to you? you know, who do you want to connect with? Who do you want to talk to? Are you guys hiring? Are you guys looking for jobs? Uh, you kind of alluded to the fact that you are here talking to us and, and, you know, recent more recently on LinkedIn, cause you want to meet people uh, in the community. So, uh, so who yeah. should, uh, who should reach out to you?
1: Exactly. I, I mean, I would say pretty much everybody, sh- I mean, we're like right now I'm trying to build up my skill of being able to sort of connect with people in this space and to, and to sort of learn, you know, all the different problem spaces and use cases people have, you know, definitely interested and willing to 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 take you know interesting work for people. You know, if if people have you know a problem space that like is they want to apply sort of I'll call it the the latest and greatest you know maybe unique way of looking at things, um, then definitely. But you know, I'm really interested. I'm right now. I'm really trying to, like I said, knowing thyself. I'm trying to build up my skill set of being able to connect with people in this space. And so um, I'm trying to do better at like, you know, it, you, you know, work, you know engaging with people, you know, and, and, uh, because I'm, I, I'm a, I, my, my inclination is to be deep into the tech and I oftentimes miss the I, I miss i miss all of the knowledge and wisdom that comes from other people who have themselves been deep in the tech in a completely different way with completely different scenarios. Vlad Vlad mentioned a couple scenarios I didn't even think about for the thing that so that's so and that happened in a very small short period of time after 30 seconds of me explaining the thing. So obviously it's clear that there's things I'm missing and I I you know right now I really just you know I really like to talk to people. So I don't know how to if that that can't get more actionable than that i guess but that's you know but awesome no I,
0: I i love that i think that that's good so i i will make the request hey if you guys are not connected to caleb you can connect uh through the show through any of the clips that you're watching uh if you're watching live right now you can connect with him and we will go ahead and drop links uh links on youtube uh, it has been an amazing conversation every time we're talking, and man, we we haven't even got to how we're going to build Skynet by connecting your robots through IIoT and and, mm-hmm. and having the autonomous cars uh, doing that. So so we will have to commit to having that show again at some point in the future. But but thank you, Caleb, and thank mm-hmm. you, uh, thank you everyone for this amazing conversation as we qu- quite literally continue to push the bounds of IIoT. Um, In this theme, Um, I will ask again, if you guys are not, please feel free to subscribe to manufacturinghub.live. You guys can get emails with about an hour reminder of when we're going live. Uh, Connect with uh, Vlad, myself, connect with Caleb on LinkedIn. You guys can subscribe to Solus PLC and follow the Manufacturing Hub Network on linkedin and beyond that if you're listening to us in podcast form again please go hit the subscribe or the follow button rate us five stars that helps for a bunch of reasons and more of you continue to find us every week which again shocks vlad and i like like nothing else but uh but we will say thank you to everyone listening in and until next week we'll see you guys soon